In late May of 2019, the First Nations Foundation, the Centre for Social Impact and the National Australian Bank released a report exploring the financial resilience of First Nations peoples. I recently spoke with the CEO of First Nations Foundation, Amanda Young, and I began our conversation by asking her why the report was conducted. The reason why we did this report is that until Wednesday of last week, late May 2019, there has not been any data on Indigenous finances in Australia. You'd be amazed to know that it's true. Financial services, banks, superannuation, insurance don't collect this information and government doesn't either except for maybe some census data. So this is the first time we've been able to see into the financial position of Indigenous Australians around the country. The reason why we haven't seen these reports before is because financial services don't know who of their customers are Indigenous. They don't collect the data, they don't ask. Okay, so in terms of this report then, how how was it actually conducted? Can you give us some of the insight in terms of how it was run? Because I believe there was a survey, yeah? So this is a complex multiple methodology research project. We did an online survey to cover urban and regional Indigenous people and we also did face-to-face surveys in remote communities. So we covered across all three lenses of remote, regional and urban Australia and it was over 600 people who participated. And in terms of some of the things that people were being asked or things like that, can you, can you reveal some of that, like some of the questions sure. and stuff like that? This research has been done for many years by National Australia Bank and the university with mainstream Australia. It's been a, uh, an ongoing series of how is the financial resilience of Australians. And there has never been any data that was reliable for Indigenous Australians. So they created a special research project just to fill that void, which is where First Nations Foundation came in and we helped collect that data for them. The questions that were being asked, most of them were the same as with mainstream Australia. Things like, as you imagine with financial resilience, it's kind of like the safety bubble around you. If things went wrong, if life happened, what would you do? How would you get $2,000? Do you have insurance cover? Have you got savings? Those are the sorts of questions we were asking, but we also added in special questions for Indigenous Australians because we know that different things are operating in the um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cohort. What were some of the key findings that have been revealed by this report? We previously thought that Indigenous people were being excluded from financial services at about 43%. We're really concerned to say that this research has shown that 75% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people had trouble in the last 12 months dealing with financial services. Second thing, 9 in 10 Indigenous people are not financially secure. Compare that to the mainstream, it's only 1 in 10 are not financially secure. The research showed that 1 in 2 Indigenous people is suffering severe financial stress. That means they can't feed themselves. There's not enough food in the fridge. There's not enough money to make things go round. That's a large number of people to be suffering at the real edge of poverty. From your point of view, do do we know why we're seeing such concerning rates there? It's a combination of things. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people don't have great financial literacy. So we need to really build those skills up. And 
I don't know that anyone expects Aboriginal people to just miraculously get that. That will probably mean that we need government and financial services to invest in building financial knowledge. It's a life skill. Understanding how the economy works has never been explained to Indigenous Australians. And I think most Australians have forgotten that it was only since the 1970s that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been legally allowed to own property or earn their wages cash in hand. So think about it, 1970s, how long would it take you to save for a house or buy a house? Probably a generation. So we're now at the really the genesis generations of people who are trying to work out how does money work and how can I make it work for me? Number two is that we need financial services to lift their game, to be honest. We're talking banking, we're talking superannuation, we're talking insurance, and we're also eventually going to be talking about the wealth sector. So you might have remembered from the Royal Commission, there was plenty of evidence that there's problems with Indigenous people right at the interface. The first contact with financial services, Aboriginal people bounce off. Why? One, it's not a very friendly interface. The second thing is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people will have identification challenges. Thirdly, financial services are just not geared to helping the poor. They're really, their whole business model is about helping people who have money and what to do with that money. And we feel that that's a place where something does really need to change. The third one I would say would be government has to change its focus in this area. But overall, rather than financial services like banks and superannuation tinkering around the edges, what our foundation would say after seeing this research result is to say, you need to reframe the whole way you're going about this and ask yourselves the question, how are we going to help Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders achieve prosperity, however that is defined by them? I understand uh, one of the things that obviously that was looked at was in regards to the financial aspirations or you know or goals and things like that. How do Indigenous money aspirations sort of differ from non-Indigenous? Any black seller out there will know that the perception of self is in a collective. So Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, if you're doing fine with money yourself, that's really not the goal. It's to make sure your family and your mob's doing okay as well. So that's the first thing that really came out strongly. The second thing is that if one and two are suffering financial stress, guess who is helping support those in financial stress? It's the number two. <laughs> so number one's in financial stress and number two's helping. So a lot of the money's being shared back with community. I don't think I know anyone who doesn't share some of their income with family to help out. Other things that are different around prosperity concepts, uh, Indigenous people have modest ideas of what wealth is. It can be a full fridge. It can be living without money troubles. The concept is yet to emerge or may never emerge about the idea of accumulating huge amounts of wealth in the way that Westerners do. And last week, in the same week that our report was released, the Rich List came out and we saw that uh, Mr Pratt was, I can't remember how many billions of dollars he has, but it was considerably high in Gina Reinhart and all of the the titans, I guess, of the of the economy were there. And that is something that is not only foreign for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but to be honest, when our researchers went out and did field work, they laughed when they suggested, what would it be like to be wealthy? What do you think are the important things that we need to take away from a report like this in, in terms of moving forward and making the changes so that, uh, you know, First Nations peoples aren't suffering as much from, you know, 
burdens of financial stress and things like that and are actually able to engage with financial services. The government needs to put some attention in this area. I say that because even though the economy is taken care of by financial services, it is a space where where government is investing considerable amounts of money. I think it's $33 billion a year to try and close the gap and help Aboriginal people. And not one cent of that is going towards the financial well-being of Indigenous Australians. It's a huge gap in the policy. It's a big thing to be missing if you want to change Indigenous people's lives, of course. Everyone's going to do better if they have more money, if they know how to make their money work better for them, and they can achieve better health and education and, and life outcomes. The second area that has to change is financial services. While we really appreciate the small efforts that are being made to create a phone line so Aboriginal people can call in and having that staffed by culturally competent people, that's wonderful. But we believe that the true investment, the best investment, is in Indigenous people and training and educating Aboriginal people about the financial system. We reckon that is the better buy and bang for buck and the better investment. And then finally, for Indigenous Australia, we've really got to start to engage on this economy about how can we learn these skills and share these skills and understand how we're in this Western capitalist economy, how can we better serve our needs, our communities, our families by understanding the rules of this game and getting really actively involved in it. This is the first time the, the invisible has been made visible. And what we're seeing is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, when it comes to the economy, it's like they're playing snakes and ladders, but it's all snakes, no ladders. There's no knowledge of how this system works and understanding the rules of the game. And we feel like that really does have to change. And we feel like it's time to do that now. It's such a wonderful opportunity. We've got an Indigenous minister for the first time. We've got an acceptance by the government that closing the gap isn't working and we think that there's, we found a missing piece of the puzzle for the government. And then finally, we know that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are growing their wealth and growing the economy really quickly. We've had so much land returned over the last 20 years. It's now 40% of Australia's land mass. We've got exponential growth in Indigenous businesses. The macroeconomic pressures are really building for Aboriginal people to get engaged in the economy. And we're all being held back by financial literacy and poor systems. Surely we can sort all of these out and move forward and have a prosperous First Nations population.